3: This is the John Fugel sang podcast.
4: Ah, uh, there she is. Every every night on this show, we, we play the music of people who have birthdays today or anniversaries. John Lennon released this this day. Eric B. and Rakim released this this day. This is the super rare remix with MC Light from 1989 with Sinead O'Connor on Want Your Hands on Me. We play songs from the past to mark a date of someone's birth, and now I think we're just going to be playing... All the musicians who died this year, David Crosby (laughs) and and Tony Bennett and Tina Turner and Randy Meisner and now Sinead, the dude from De La Soul and now Robbie Robertson and a lot of these people are good friends of the show. Thank you for playing that, Chris. Wow. This is SiriusXM progress. That is Sinead O'Connor, who we're going to play every day for the rest of the year. I'm John Fuelsen. Thanks for being with us. We are at 866-997-4748, bringing good trouble to the right wing bubble. I'm so excited about this particular panel we have here tonight. Bachelorette number one. She's here every Tuesday, but when we're in LA, she's coming into the studio on Thursdays because she's a masochist and as a Catholic I appreciate that. Dr. Tracy Pearson is a legal analyst and consultant you've seen on TV and radio and podcasts and Forbes, Fast Company, New York Post. Shucks, I met her as a panelist on News Nation. Dr. Tracy is consistently the smartest person in the room. We have no idea why she does our show. It's so nice to have you here in person.
5: Well, John, it is wonderful to be here with you as always and the fact that you're in L.A. just floors me. I'm just so happy.
4: (laughs) Thank you. I'm, I'm here for for a, a month. Uh, so so thank you. I wanted to be in a place where everyone buys lots of shoes and no one walks any place. Mona <laughs> Sheikh is back. We had you last week and you classed up the joint and it's so nice to have you back. She is a terrific stand-up and host and producer of Minority Reports. She's been featured in Forbes and LA Times and Newsweek and the Guardian and the New York Post and Washington Post and the BBC. How are you, Mona?
1: I'm doing fantastic. Can I take you everywhere with me to just give that intro to people when I walk into the room? That's
4: fine, yeah. I'll be your hype man. I just
1: want people to know that I've been paying John off in empanadas uh, (laughs) for that intro.
5: I get Thank my you. clip each week and I save it.
4: That's wonderful. Here, here, here's the deal: like I, I've had to do so many TV shows where I had no agency, where I was hired because I I look like a mannequin and, and I look like you know they thought I was Katie. Lang- I don't know what. But I've had to do so many TV shows where I've had to interview people that I'm not interested in and sometimes can't stand. I have had to sit there with a. <laughs> Fake smile, and I mean, I was a fucking VH1 VJ for my first job. You know how many horrible 90s pop stars I had to interview and hide my contempt? <laughs> like, So w- the nicest thing about radio, besides the fact that I can show up looking like this, is that um, I only have to book guests I want, and I've never had a job in media like that. So I'm always excited, and I don't have to fake it.
1: You're amazing.
4: Thank, Thank you, you for having me. Sure, I-, I can fake it if you need me to. Um <laughs> And you are so brilliant for noticing that. Thank you. I, <laughs> I do engage in insincere flattery and you're just a rock star for realizing you're, that. You're Welcome. Awesome. Uh, Bachelor number one is a man I, I, I've i loved for years and he's so talented. It both inspires delights, pisses me off, and scares me. Carlos Alice Rocky is not just oh, the face wow. of Deputy James Garcia on Comedy Central's hit show Reno 911 or Reno 911, the movie. Uh, he's been a great stand-up. I've had the great pleasure of touring with him. Yeah. He is one of the best voice actors and in person in the game with hundreds of credits. At this point in my life, I watch a movie with my kid and I wait to see Carlos's name in the credits. Welcome back. Now I feel like I have to do a voice.
6: Now I feel I have to be
2: (laughs) Billy Crystal
7: and be humble. And This is Robin Williams giving me credit. Um, No, thank you very much. When you say you get to invite people you like, I I suddenly realized I had the theme music when your email came out. I got a golden ticket. I get to go to Sirius XM with uh, Holly Hunter from Broadcast News, the smartest person in the room, and this fantastic producer, comedian, bon vivant uh, woman who just got back from a very interesting trip, I'm sure will regale you with. So Thanks. I'm just a dad from Burbank who was on the picket line this morning, and I know that might segue into our first topic. But we just might. I'm very privileged. So thank you for Mr. Wonka for let me. Uh, be a part of the chocolate factory tour. You get
4: nothing, you lose. Good day, sir. Good day, sir. <laughs> um, you stole. Good me. day, sir. Um, the, well, no, we had Ron Perlman in here earlier because uh, I wanted to talk to him about the strike as well because he's already gotten in trouble for his social media posts. Oh, uh, yeah, We know where you live without you, actually naming someone. He says, "We know where you live, motherfucker." <laughs> I love
7: it. <laughs> I'm going to bring you he's in next pretty, time. He's have a Perlman i pretty bringing up what Trump is doing with Jack Smith, right? We know where you live.
6: <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ron,
4: Ron is he's id he's tony soprano he does not hold back he doesn't hold back and that's what i like i said to him it means so much to me look i decided to wreck my career by talking about politics you know i could have been a game show host i could have done more funny home videos but god damn it i was born with this birth defect of empathy so i call out bullshit and and i look at there's a few artists who do it Mm -hmm. because i love some of the artists i love will never take a risk i mean yeah Paul McCartney's 81. He could risk taking a stand on something to piss off one person, but he yeah, doesn't no. that's his choice. Dylan doesn't do it anymore. You know, uh, Springsteen does, Neil Young, whoever great, but Ron is someone who works as a popular artist who does incredibly mainstream stuff. He does not hold back on social media. It has not cost him work, and if anything, it makes him better as a bad guy and as a good guy because sure. he's so he's he's what 74 and he could break you in two.
7: Yeah. And, and it's something wonderful. There's an eloquence in, in truth. And So regardless of the language that comes out with it, truth is truth. And it's eloquent no matter how many swear words you attach to it. De, De Niro, I always have to get bleeped on Stephanie. Trump, that motherfucker, that goddamn fucking <laughs> puke, that fucking disgusting goddamn piece of shit. And, and they, please don't say that. Well, no, he's a fucking liar. <laughs> and I go, that, that's beautiful. It's eloquent because it's the truth. Mm-hmm. It's not packaged the way you want it to be packaged, but it ain't lying. How, how would Jesse
4: Pinkman address Trump? Oh, you bitch. <laughs> That fucking bitch, <laughs> <laughs> Mona. Tell us about your trap. We talked about it last week, but since Carlos mentioned it, tell us about your uh, your travels. Oh, should I? Did, was yeah. that the wrong road? No, road no, road?
1: no, that was that is this, was. This really is the clinic
4: trip you told me about privately, right? This Is the tri- the travel? Go on. <laughs>
1: uh, the clinic trip. Uh, yeah, uh, that's why you see me sitting a little uncomfortably. I know, and I'm um, sorry about every fast. I know. Else. I wore white pants. I shouldn't have. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs>
7: Especially before Labor Day.
1: Especially before Labor Day. How dare I? Uh, no, I was talking to uh, Carlos and to Tracy about my recent trip to Pakistan. I yes. was there for a month. Amazing. Which is, uh, amazing. if you say so. Um, it's amazing. And, to to uh, someone
4: like me, it's amazing.
1: Oh, yeah, I don't know, of course. I'm sure. I'm sure it's amazing for you. Well, like, I was born and raised in Karachi, in Pakistan. Yeah. And, you know, you forget, I've like, lived here for over 25 years, and you forget the kind of privilege you have when you live in America. Even with all our problems, the problems here don't even come close to the problems that exist in that part of the world. Like, there are no signals. Do you understand? Like, when you go to a traffic, right? The traffic is just. Going
4: Okay, people just School go. of fish. School of fish. People just go. I, I thought you were going to talk about heads of state being assassinated, oh, but that's, I guess the traffic's oh, bad, coming, too. Oh, yeah. too. Oh, I'm coming
1: back. I got to warm up to that. I can't just get to <laughs> yes. the assassinations.
7: Gosh.
4: Let, let her do the appetizers a, first, I'm just, sir.
1: I'm just warming up the crowd here, people. Uh, let's go. Um, let's go with
4: minor atrocities first. Just minor first. atrocities, Build atrocities on
1: first. Uh, just r- severe pollution. Yeah. Uh, you know, just sewers open everywhere. Just like a shit hole. Okay. It's a shithole. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> I would say that. Um, you know, yeah. it, it truly is. And it's not because the country doesn't have the ability to be amazing, because it does. It's just that the 70% of the GDP goes to the military. 30% yeah. percent leftover goes to the politicians. They eat everything up and nothing goes to the people. Well, nothing. Nothing. Nothing goes to the infrastructure. I mean, the country's
4: under 80 years old. It's under 80 years old. Is there reason to, to still hope? I, you know, we're a long way from Ali Jinnah's good intentions in 48, but is there is there a reason to hope? Because, I mean... Uh, you know, between Benazir Bhutto getting knocked off, and then you know yep. other guys I thought were going to get knocked off, it's it's really a, a it's, scary time. It's a, but you know, least, when Pakistanis
7: say they want to live in Maui, it's pretty bad. Okay, Chachi.
4: <laughs> Thanks, Dennis.
1: I Ma- I can't afford Maui, but thank you. Um, Maui's expensive. Uh, yeah. No, it's no, it's no. crazy. I was telling them that I had to hire a lawyer because uh, a couple of, our pro- of our, a couple of our properties have been illegally taken over. Land grabbing is a big thing really? in Pakistan, and one. One of the lawyers that we hire, I hired is this very big human rights activist dude, right? He's very popular. So it turns out, about a month ago, I wake up and he's trending on Twitter. I'm like, this cannot be good. Oh, that's a good, good. sign. Yeah. No, that's a horrible <laughs> sign, John. Know, I know. It's, when yeah. you come and live in that part of the world, that's a ho- that means you've either been assassinated or you've been kidnapped. That's right. what that means. And I was like, holy shit, what has happened? Or you um, dropped a
4: single with Kesha. That happens too sometimes. That's almost who as bad. Has, but yeah. Who
1: even remembers Kesha? Um... <laughs> Poor Kesha. Um, and, and turns what was out, it? turns out that unmarked vehicle arrived at his house, and it was the government that came and kidnapped him. To pressurize him into not doing any more human rights work and speaking out against the military. Wow. So his wife takes it to her social media and says, My husband's been kidnapped by the government. And the government vehemently denies it. And then finally, you know, all the other celebrities in Pakistan took it to their social media. And they so were like, So they,
4: they all did it together. They all
1: banded together and they were like, You better freaking release him. And so 48 hours, he comes back. So I give him a call. I'm like, Dude, what the fuck? Like, yeah. what is going on? And he's like, Yeah, I don't really want to like talk about it so much but you know they came and kidnapped me they're trying to pressurize me into giving up my human rights work and then Jesus. he released a statement like the balls man like then he goes on his social media and is like not now not ever am i moving out of this country i am gonna fight to the death for human rights in this country holy shit wow.
6: that what, is some
1: yeah. gangsta stuff can you do some Soprano? What would Tony Soprano say about oh, that? Fucker,
6: this fucker Pakistani. the government come and take
1: me? Uh, you better than Christopher. <laughs> give me, give me the like this fucker guy.
6: <laughs>
1: actually, what the guy actually said was like, I don't care what happens. I'm going to stay in this country
4: even if I die. Oh man, wow, wow. And I complain about racist trolls on Twitter. Jesus. Yeah.
1: Hardcore, man, hardcore. Well, l- hardcore. let's
4: let's talk about injustice closer to home because uh, I know you were out picketing earlier today, yep. Carlos, and the strikes are. are are going on. Today is 101 days since the writer's strike began. Uh, Obviously, uh, it's hard on actors. Ari Emanuel of William Morris Endeavor came out and said that... uh, the strikes are costing WME $25 million a month in revenue. They just wow. take 10% of what the artists make, and that's how much they didn't make in one month. Wow. And it seems more and more like the studios uh, are really digging in and just saying, we're going to wait until y'all can't pay your mortgages anymore before we come to the table.
7: Yeah, Adam Cottonover is very active, um, Tracy, as Tracy probably knows and can tell us what's going on legally. But yeah, Adam says, no, we, we, we have a fund. People are donating to that fund. We're taking care of each other. There is a sense of camaraderie, and there doesn't seem to be a sense of defeat as, on the lines that I've walked. People are still there, and some are hurting, but because of that fund, we can we can extend it to other the, the other actors who might lose their insurance or might lose their work, but
4: yeah, unfortunately, it does sound like they are dug in. So,
5: <sighs> Yeah.
4: What I keep deriving hope from, and I was talking about this with Ron, is that because it's actors some of whom are well-known, mm-hmm. and they're on camera talking about it, and we can see Bob Odenkirk talking about it. Yep. If, you know, Fran Drescher's Simon giving Peg. great speeches. Cranston. Labor activists yeah. don't get on TV talking about labor. Politicians yeah. don't get on TV talking about labor. Yep. Yeah. But if it's celebrities in this sick fucking culture, we're going to get a civics lesson from this because famous people are talking about things the media normally won't let anyone talk about. You don't yep. hear organized labor stories In corporate news, you're hearing it now because shiny famous people are on strike. And to me, that's been the most inspiring part of all of it because there's so many folks who are learning the struggles that have existed that they've tried to erase since the Reagan era by just breaking down unions. Yep. So I'm, I'm, I'm terrified, but I'm also just so inspired by how many people are out there and care and are educating America because this touches everyone Unions have been the greatest support working people in this country have ever had whether you like them or not
7: There, there can be on um, my brother's end who worked in international accounts There can be times when they became Manipulated and demand sure. too much and put too much pressure on small businesses and it works against them But by and large, yes Workers need protection and they receive them from unions and so as a whole I would say uh, argue for the fact that unions are a good thing and uh, as you said, there's a there's a great amount of camaraderie on those picket lines. Everybody, you're meeting people for the first time, and yes. you're 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 not, you're not minding. It. Unfortunately, today the weather was nice; it wasn't so hot. But the things like pruning the trees on Lancashire uh, in front so of shitty. Universal, it's That's just so shitty. It's just devious. Yeah. We, we 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 replaced these malicious. sidewalks with lava.
5: <laughs> malicious. <laughs> so nasty, nasty, malicious. I think stuff. we're
7: in for the long haul, as Adam Conover says. No, you're not going to yeah. bleed us out. We're going to bleed you out. You're yeah. losing money. Yeah. and there are intermediate agreements. Uh, you know, Bob uh, Bergen is a, a great union spokesperson for SAG, and I know Sarah Silverman had her, her take on what was happening with Studio A24, and Bob's take was no, you really got to read the agreement really thoroughly, because what you think is happening is not actually happening. Uh, so the interim agreement is sort of working. I'm privileged to be able to work under a separate animation yes. sort of contract. What we can promote, what we can't. How I've you got
4: can... a radio deal I could do under SAG. I understand.
7: Yeah, yeah so uh, there's... I think, there, I think this time around the nation is getting to see it via celebrities. I, 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 so. I can't believe that there's a band, not people like Rage Against the Machine or whatever, doing these giant concerts right in front of Disney. I'm sure there's an ordinance, but why not Rick Roll them and get shut down, you know? Why not? Yeah. I mean, did
1: you guys hear about, um, was it Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg? They mm-hmm. canceled their, their concert mm-hmm. in yes. solidarity. Mm-hmm. That's huge, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's, that, that's huge. I mean, um, I actually have some good news to share. I was uh, on a call an hour ago with... SAG, and uh, I, I think I mentioned this to you the last time I was here, I pitched them the idea about bringing out comedians and roasting each one of the studios right yes. outside. Yes. Uh, they just approved it today. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I, w-
4: I, so. would, I would cross a line to, to see that show. Fantastic. Yeah, I would violate my union Fabulous. Just to see that. Let's
1: do it. So in the next week to two weeks, uh, that's what I'm going to put together. A bunch oh, of comedians brilliant. just out there roasting, and we're going to be talking shit and taking names. I hope
4: you do it while I'm still in yeah. down. That sounds fun. <laughs> um, let's talk about another long haul. And that is uh, the ongoing legal travails of former star of Celebrity Apprentice Donald Trump. Um, Tracy, one thing I learned from watching his lawyer do all five Sunday shows is that he's not good at getting lawyers. I know Giuliani was a tip off to that, but my God, I mean, I am, on the one hand, I'm overwhelmed by the malfeasance. On the other hand, I can't wait for more. I'm so ready for indictment number four next week.
5: I, I can't take it. I mean, I I practice yes, law you can. for yes, 20 you can. years. I can't. I, I I get I get really nauseous over watching these people and and having watched them for for so many years now. Um, this guy John Laura. Yes. Um, he uh, Lawrence O'Donnell got his number the other night with a with a clip where uh, Laura was asked on another show about whether Jack Smith was deranged. Yes. And there was a pause because he was desperately trying to grasp for something that he could say that was non-responsive to the question, but still sounded like he was talking about the subject. And so he, I think he blamed Joe Biden for something. Yes. But, <laughs> and hopefully
4: I, trans kids, too. I hope yeah, he put, no, worked that I in there. I don't
5: know that he worked that in there. But for me, I, I sit there and I go, okay, look, you little shit. You're a lawyer. You know that you're not supposed to be on air talking about uh, a trial, talking about a legal matter. There's a rule of professional conduct out of uh, the District of Columbia that says, don't do that if it's going to have a material prejudice in the case. And that's exactly what you're trying to do is materially prejudice the case in favor of your client. And so it's, it's disturbing to me. The other thing is that the more he talks, the more he screws his client, And the more he puts his client in jeopardy for violating conditions because he's an agent for his client. So there is a a, there's a ruling court that says that any statements made by your lawyer are attributable to you and you can be held accountable as the defendant. So it just I, I mean, I could get going about this for hours. I just can't take it. And I just want to slap him right across the face and say, which one are you? Are you a lawyer or are you a Trump whore? Which one are you? But
4: what's the difference? I mean, seriously, if you're a Trump lawyer, it's all about the billable hours. And we know that you have to get paid up front. And then all you have to do is draw this out and watch the dollar signs rack up. I don't think any of his lawyers care what happens to him. I think they are milking him the way he has milked the system his entire life.
7: They are grifting off a grifter. They are legal Stormy Daniels.
5: I don't know that he's doing billable hours because most, or at least in my experience, most criminal lawyers do things based off of a flat. That fee that is earned based on you do the arraignment you get a portion you do this you get a portion
4: then you get it up front in this case though
5: but you but you get it up front yeah. and once that hmm. once you've done those things there's no more left it's not like you add to it hmm. so it's for a set amount of money generally speaking because most criminal defendants even Donald Trump don't pay their bills, um, and if they not even to stars, not true, not even true, not stars. true.
7: <laughs> fake news.
5: <laughs> and so I, 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 think that I get so upset about it because I, I, I just these people, you know, they they went into the law for a reason back in the day, and they for have sure. lost. Their as, core. A,
4: as opposed to politicians who went into public service back in the day, yeah, for his a world is yeah. like a Dick Tracy comic book. All the dregs of society will help
7: you, Don.
6: <laughs> I read me a law
4: book in prison. Oh, it's true. It's and it's fantastic. I mean, think about his pallbearers are going to be like Ugh. Giuliani and Scott Baio and and Sorbo. Ron Jeremy and Kevin Sorbo. Hey Hercules, <laughs> you're not toting your end of the. book. I only played Hercules on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let me let me ask the comics in the. Room, because Tracy, you're you're the official grown-up in the panel now. <laughs> oh, is that
5: what I am, jeez. Oh, is
4: is is he still good for comedy, or is he bad for comedy? Because I have now viewed Trump to be like dog and cat jokes, airplane jokes, leaving the toilet seat jokes, like. If well, you have something new to bring to the genre, you can make it work. I don't necessarily think the genre's played out.
7: Well, what's evergreen on Stephanie Miller is I've always portrayed him as Max Cady, De Niro's version at the end when he's drowning in the in the puddle <laughs> doing Pentecostal. <laughs> so, yeah, I think the insanity is approaching beyond scariness, but he's, he's always going to be good for comedy because it's fascinating how small that corner he's painting himself into is getting and he still fits. I know, I know. He's, it's like that when you pan out on a photo and it's the reverse. You're you're
4: zeroing down, you're still able to see it. So, I think he's still good. But have you have you had like angry trumpers in your audience? Well,
7: I haven't done many live shows. I was in Paso Robles, which had the potential to have that Trump like uh, uh audience, but no, I I did not I was not approached and nobody said boo fuck you get off stage So it has okay. not happened to me I don't know about you
1: Oh. I have not come across. I mean, um, I was telling you guys I was uh, headlining shows on uh, cruise ships last year yeah. or so. You don't talk about politics. No, you can. no, really. you, you, can't. Cannot. you cannot. That is tough. It's... Like you can't do that. I, I think polit- uh, You know, dictators are always going to be in fashion, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're all. Uh, there's always comedy around dictators and someone yeah. who grew up under a dictatorship and now then now uh, sadly, uh, the, the, we we came so close to becoming becoming a dictatorship. It was fucking scary. I was like, am I in Pakistan?
6: Again, I know, right?
1: What's happening? What are we losing the democracy? You are, if you go to Florida, if you yeah, Yeah. I was in Miami, I was like, which country is this? Where, where,
4: baby, Cuba, Argentina, wow, it's it's insane what's happening down there. And what's amazing is DeSantis has bet the farm on this cynical, cynical gambit that I just have to be as racist as Trump, yeah. Pretend that I'm not the racist, but these angry black people are the real racists, right? And and it's all—I mean, that's what the Stop Woke Act was. Yeah. That's what "Don't Say Gay" is. Yeah. That's what the putting these poor refugees on an airplane and lying that they were getting jobs. That's what banning AP uh, African American studies in the state. That's what banning now gender AP studies psychology okay. studies because they. Because because psychology does not consider being gay a mental disorder. Firing appointed judges and duly elected judges, right? And right again. And I'm just like, you know, have have y'all paid attention to what happened in 2018, 2020, and 2022? This hate thing really works for you to clinch a nomination it doesn't work in a general election young people and women and non-white people are turned what we call the fuck off by this
1: yeah i, I mean I've, i just feel like more and more especially the new gop this like trump's gop is very much about who's going to be the most racist
4: yeah it's not republican party anymore
1: it's not it's <laughs> not i don't feel like it's a
7: republican party part and, and, at all and how far the line has gone right howard dean lost his bid because he went ah! And DeSantis turns around and yells at high school kids, take those masks off! Right then and there. When you're yelling at a kid or deriding him for having a mask on that, that yeah. you should be Quite automatically that. It disqualified just, it's just
4: theater it's just performance it's like no dude you saying that on camera is performative that's theater Correct. if I was one of those kids you know what I would've done I would've lied and Fuck said you. I've got an immune disorder you selfish asshole I'm immune <laughs> to assholes <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: DeSantis thinking a slurpy? DeSantis always looks
1: like to me he's about to cry don't you get that like, he, gets he always, so agitated he just, he just looks like he's about
5: to cry to me he just to looks, me, he looks like, looks like he just
4: stole Pee Wee Herman's bicycle that's I. Uh, uh, he's Francis always hi Pee Herman just
5: yeah. Constantly uncomfortable with everything. He's just yeah. not
4: genuine.
7: He's just, and, and Trump, as much as I despise him, he's fascinating.
4: And DeSantis is not fascinating. DeSantis is not interesting. Trump is engaging. I have no problem saying that Trump has an incredible. Dark, evil Sith, fucking Saruman charisma. Yeah, but he has got it. I have, I have worked with him. I have been in rooms with him. I have seen him work a room. Yeah. It's all pro wrestling, fucking televangelist <laughs> <It's amazing>. bullshit. <laughs> but he can get a room of dumb, racist people going. Oh yeah, and DeSantis. No, I mean he can't even get two dozen people to show up at the hog fair right now in Florida, <laughs> dude. The white boots was that was it. That that's was another beautiful, one. Beautiful. You should never <laughs> wear the. But when your wife dresses you, that's going to happen, oh, right? Yeah, I mean, let's little, not uh, <laughs> let's let's. Fred,
7: Fred Mertz. Oh,
4: Honey Bunch.
7: They're going <laughs> to laugh at me. Fred? <laughs> oh, he went to Vivian Vance. I went to Vivian Vance.
4: Fred <laughs> oh, Mertz, you better put that on. <laughs> oh, doggone, Honey Bunch. We have to take a quick break already. all you college kids out there. Um, we'll be back in just a second. With your calls, uh, we are at 866-997-4748, and we will be asking you to keep your comments or your questions or your threats or your bad jokes to a minimum. 866-997-GRIT. We'll be back in two. This is progress.
2: Welding
0: instructor Alex DeClair knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com/metaverseimpact.
2: As you write your life story, you're far from finished. edu podcast
4: And we are back. My God, I'm loving this. We got Carlos alazraki mm-hmm. we got Mona Shake, and we got Dr. Tracy Pearson all in the same room. And Russell, MMM. this is as good as it gets. This is it. You can't ask for better than this. Uh let's go to Dylan and let's take some calls. We're at 866-997-4748. I want to talk about abortion because you're all funny people. But mm-hmm. first, let's go to Dylan in New Mexico. Welcome.
8: Hey, what's going on, John? Bruce. How you doing? Hey, man. Hey. I, I'm good, I'm good. So um, I think Carlos is absolutely hilarious. I listen to him all the time on Stephanie's show and Thank all his you. characters. And it mm. um, cracks me up, man. But um, anyway, man, I, all I want to say is this this world, everyone seems to be hating each other now. You go to these Trump rallies, it's like a cast of Deliverance too And they're just <laughs> hot, angry, and pissed off, screaming. And it's, you know before you know it, you have all these Bama beatdown videos nowadays just because everyone's pissed off at each other. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, and it's always great for comedy, like we're saying, but it's, it's, uh, it comes to the I mean, you, you know,
4: I, I guess it's great. I mean, I guess, but like you have to, yeah, the actual hatred is what scares me because there's times when I'm like, how much of yeah. this is that these people really are fucking right wing ignoramuses and how much of it is the 1% trying to tear us apart?
7: It is manipulation, but it is also the reason that Taylor Swift is doing so well because everybody goes to their concerts, they all know their song, they're in concert. And it's a wonderful, positive experience. But it is the 1% being manipulated. The uh, guy the FBI had to kill because he threatened to kill Joe Biden, along with Ashley Babbitt. Somebody had posted, Ashley Babbitt, she deserved it. No, it's a sad story because these people got manipulated by the 1% to do their bidding and to die for it, and then the mom thinks that Trump is her savior and it's how pervasive the the manipulation can go. People want to make you angry. It's why the Jimmy Doors and the Glenn Greenwalds work as well. His supporters are angry yeah and they tap into that anger somebody robert kennedy somebody is lying to you you can make a difference and the reality is no you're not being lied to by those people you're being lied to by the jimmy doors and the glenn greenwells and the kennedy they're lying to you not the government
4: yeah i mean and, and sometimes the government the, it does lie i'm angry all the time but you know anger anger is bad for comedy i try to do outrage instead <laughs> of anger but at the end of the day i'm not so angry that i'm going to think i am so much better than you i get to hate you i mean i'll mock Mean people that yes. I do, I mock meanness, but like Ashley Babbitt is dead because exactly. of donald trump's lies absolutely that is the reason she is gone now she and the fact that people in her orbit can't put two and two together they're not watching the january 6th hearings they don't know that trump knew he really had lost and trump knew he was lying he told them that he lost
7: yeah. everybody knew it. Too. and the fact that these people are, are serving sentences now right they're going to jail they're serving sentences for something he told them to do and and they they still don't blame them. I mean, the cult runs so
4: deep. You're right.
5: And the thing is though, is that this has always been the case. It's just that right now we are putting a video camera on it. We're putting Mm -hmm. audio equipment on it. Mm -hmm. And, we are seeing it and hearing it in a in a consistent basis. Now, I, I was born in the 70s, so I wasn't around for, for the Jim Jones cult um, in a sentient way.
7: Guyana, yeah, fresh, no. and
5: and, Guyana. and and a whole bunch of people there <laughs> literally drank Kool Aid yeah. and were fed Kool Aid and and killed themselves or mm-hmm. were murdered, really. Uh, and and uh, you know, we had a representative that was that was almost murdered, shot yeah. multiple times. And I think that it is, it is something that it, we are so focused on. Things happen in cycles, and this is just another cycle. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's just 78. It's some different voices that are doing it in front of cameras, and the technology has changed, so we're getting it in real time.
4: Do you know why there's no jokes about the Guyana tragedy? The punchline's too long. Hey, Dylan, thank you for the yes. call. 866 997 4748. That's what a dad joke is in my house. <laughs> um, yeah. Let me ask you guys I'm about.
1: Sorry, a dad joke or a dead joke?
4: A dad joke. Oh, oh, or a dead joke, yes. Okay. It's yeah. a dead, dad joke. No. I, I, I just thought they were bad jokes, and I had a kid, and now my bad jokes are dad jokes. They <laughs> identify both ways. So here's the deal we saw this week what happened in Ohio when they tried to yeah. say okay well we can't get away with banning abortion let's make it really hard for them to enshrine the right in the constitution and holy shit, people showed up and by a 14 point margin yeah god bless you ohio you know that there are republicans who voted no as well as democrats on this and i think it goes to show uh, that i don't know if there's been uh, an issue i was trying to think what issue has so affected politics I'm going back to the Civil Rights Amendment when so many Democrats either dropped the racism or changed parties I mean when the southern strategy took took hold and the two parties began this big shift that we're still witnessing Yeah, I I I wasn't alive for it But I look at how much the Dobbs ruling is affecting our politics and will affect our politics for a couple of decades I'm I'm both horrified and yet inspired by how many Americans are turning out am I? Too, uh, am I making too much of this? No, no.
1: no I think I, 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 right, Tracy. I mean, as women, I mean, we are so profoundly affected by this. Uh, yeah,
7: you are too. It's true. Uh,
1: I'm profoundly affected. <laughs> <much yes. laughs> <laughs> just see the effect on my face right now. What
7: John is doing is
4: being um, condescending to you.
1: I uh, no, thank no, you no, for no. explaining. No, sarcasm. I'm an
4: ally, Mona. <laughs> 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 I'm an ally. Thank okay? you for explaining. Sarcasm. I didn't think she understood. I That's She's good at other things, Carlo. She's good at other things. I have two girls. I disagree.
1: Boys tell me. Um... I just want to say, abortion is the only kind of eviction I agree with, Um, and um, (laughs) yeah, when you know, we we just went back fifty years. 50 fucking years we have to fight and crawl our way back to have autonomy over our own bodies. When has the Supreme Court taken rights
4: away from Americans?
1: Your your children, you have two girls.
4: Second Amendment. Your
1: children have to fight along with us. Like They're going to be at the forefront fighting just to have autonomy over their bodies. That's insane.
7: Well, sounds callous, but we'll be rich enough to be able to go to private doctors like women are doing already. Never going to stop rich women from having abortions. But no, you're, you're right. right. But if if not, it's not fair that you have to fight for autonomy and that men all they have to do is wear condoms and don't fuck without them. That would- Vasectomies- so, yeah, vasectomies support gay marriage, But that's Zero. the thing,
4: right? Like, I think I want to see a Democrat put forth a law mandating that as of age 15, every man in the country has to have a vasectomy. It'll be free, and you can mandatorily have it reversed when you are ready right. to have children. Yep. And you and have to do it. You have to do it, because I want to hear men say, you can't have control over my body. Yeah. I want to hear that's one right. law that makes men say it.
7: Yeah, and I, I, I'm, try, I'm trying to do my little Google research. I don't ever think the Democrats had enough votes to
4: codify they did way. not. You needed 60, 60, right? And they only had 60 votes in 2009 for about 30 days about, because you had and Ted then they were Kennedy working on dying, health, Robert Byrd dying, and Al, Al Franken was in a recount. And
7: trying to pass health care. And yeah, trying to that's pass right. health care at the same time. So this lie that the far left will tell you oh. that, oh, they're campaigning on it, they could have codified exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. It's
4: not that's true. The they could not have codified no, it. No, and by the way, the people saying that are a bunch of like far left, third party motherfuckers who don't have uteruses, yeah. and that's why they could be too pure to vote for Talk Hillary Talk about Clinton. privilege,
7: because when they say, you're vote shaming I mean, you're so privileged. No, it's privileged for you, as I said on Stephanie Miller, to stand up on a lifeboat and fuck it up for everybody else. You're sinking the whole boat. Third party voting after primary, especially when women's rights are on the line, is standing up on a lifeboat. You're going to fuck it up for women, is what you're doing. Have you seen the Supreme Court that, that we've had since, thank you, Ralph Nader, 2000? Thank you, Jill Stein. Have you
4: seen how bad it's gotten? But, I don't, but again, again I, don't, I don't blame Ralph Nader. I really don't. I blame like 90,000 people in Florida, 90,000 jerk offs in Florida who, who knew they were in a battleground state and voted in. Anyway, I, my prejudice is like, it's on guys, it's on men in swing states who don't have uteruses and think I'm going to vote third party because I'm too good for these Democrats.
7: But at the end of the game, I blame the guy who has no shot at winning. At that, When you know you can't win, you tell your supporters, I can't win. Bush is worse than Gore. Don't vote for me. Don't waste your votes on that guy. Stop. I know, believe That's what I no. would do as an adult. I would be a man
4: a Person enough to admit I've got no shot. I, I listen. I you voting for me after a primary does nothing. It does nothing. I mean, Al Gore was my boss for a couple of years, but you know, I would have gone to Ralph, my hat in my hand, and said, "Okay, Ralph, what cabinet position do you want?" What do you have, yeah. Secretary of the Interior? I mean, name it.
5: Yeah, no shot at winning. But the issue of abortion has been pushed back on. I was on KNX LA. I was on News Nation. I was on Cheddar News. I was on Fox. I was on Fox 5. I can tell you with absolute certainty that every single anchor pushed back at me and said, oh no, this isn't going to be the deciding issue. This isn't going to be oh, yeah. the deciding issue. And I kept saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. When you piss women off, Yep. Yeah. when you take something from us, we're going to take it back. yeah, and um when we're dedicated uh, to doing something, we get it done, right? Women get things done. Yeah, I cannot get over how they're still talking about it in those ways at, mm-hmm. a, in a lot of places that, well, is this really a deciding issue? I mean, I know,
4: but but look at look look at the it, deciding issue. Look at look at Michigan. K- Kansas look City. at Kentucky, Kentucky. That's look Kentucky. at Kansas. And now Ohio. Only one of those is a democratic state. I mean, more than 60% of Americans support women's reproductive freedoms, and a lot of them are like my mom and dad. My mom and dad would never call themselves pro-choice. They did not like abortion. Mm-hmm. They did not want to go back to an America where it was criminalized. My mother was a nurse. She yeah. remembered hospitals and ERs. My Sider parents house would rules. never call themselves pro-choice, mm. but they would never vote for a candidate who wanted to ban the right. And I think there's a lot of older Americans who feel exactly that way. So the question is, is Dobbs going to get this old white man reelected or is Donald Trump going to get this old man reelected? I think Dobbs. I think both, but
7: it it is so important. I I think this is happening. We talked about it before the show. In concert with a lot of adults giving up religion and turning towards science, atheism, as, as you will, I think... When women realize that they had no say in the creation of most of this mythology where all the saviors are men yeah, and gods uh, are men, I think women are just like, this is fucking bullshit. <laughs> you're trying to make, make me have a baby. When well, I hang on, mythology. hang on. Women
4: get get painful childbirth and monthly menstruation because Eve ate the apple. So that, that, that part's that backed part's up by true. science. That yes. one part is yeah. true. You have to believe that, folks, if you're going to choose Genesis as literal fact.
7: But it might be happening because of that, because people are turning toward away from religion in,
4: in the adult population. And I think- <laughs> I think that's true, but sick. I also point out all the time, this Bible we've all agreed on is right. not against abortion. You're right. You're speaking facts, and that gets
7: and lost the on the right is now. And still
5: screwing with us because one fell from the sky and bit some woman on the arm the other day. Oh,
4: wow. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Fell from the sky?
5: Somehow fell from the sky. Like she a bird just dropped there. it? Did it have an apple? <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we go to Richie in L.A. Hi, Richie. Welcome. You're on XM with Carlos Mona and Dr. Oh, Tracy. Okay. What's up? Hi,
8: Carlos Mona, Dr. Tracy. You keep putting people I know on the... On your show I know Mona from the comedy chateau.
4: Ah. She's also in la
8: la. You know. Uh-oh. Hello, lucky you. If you knew
4: <laughs> Mona like I know Mona yes, and-
8: Well actually, you know but based- after Mary was there for Jesus, after he was on the cross, they should be they should be allowed to have abortion, regardless of what Eve did in the Garden of Eden.
4: Okay, yeah. I just just say the Bible's not against it. God says a fetus is property in Exodus. We're done here. Jesus against the death penalty.
8: You know, comparison to Howard Dean, the more unhinged... the Howard Dean lost because of his dream. It seems like the more unhinged Trump becomes, and the more he whines, the more the more popular he becomes.
6: Yeah.
4: I think Howard Dean was, I I think Howard Dean was a hit job by the media personally. I mean, Howard Dean had gone on CNBC because I was working at CNBC at the time and said that we're going to break up all the big media monopolies when I'm president. I'm like, dude, your campaign just ended. And a week later, (laughs) every media had the same clip where his scream was really loud. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, but Trump, uh, I mean, I, but, but, but Trump's but but Trump's election was a by the media too, because he was ratings crack, and there's still yes. the media's bias is towards ratings, yeah. and that's what scares me the most.
8: Mm-hmm. Well, actually, yep. you know that works with Warren Bogart and Marjorie Taylor Greene. But the thing yeah. is, the more I see them, the less superior I feel. <laughs> I said I look at yeah. every <laughs> Nope, I'm not superior. Not my skin color does not make me superior at all. Yeah,
4: that's true. Yeah, they are yeah. a debit to their race. I agree. <laughs> Richie, thank you for the call. My God, um, John. Hey, th- yes. Hey, everyone. It's our it's our boss, Chris Household from uh, from down in South Carolina.
8: Yeah. Hey, Sorry, guys. I just I just had to I just had to kind of uh, elaborate on what Tracy said about the snake. Um, so a woman in Texas uh, was just out walking in a field, as women in Texas do. <laughs> thank
5: you. And. Chris.
8: <laughs> A <laughs> hawk I
5: thought I was crazy at here. <laughs> a hawk
8: had hunted and caught itself a 4-foot long snake and it oh. lost its grip and it dropped the snake <laughs> onto this woman's arm. Um and then what happened is that the snake started attacking the woman because it's like ah person, and then the <laughs> hawk was like oh shit my snake, that, and so they both the hawk and the snake attacked this woman in Texas. Oh man, wow.
7: Never get a man,
4: never get between and, a hawk and a snake.
5: <laughs> and the solution is never be out in the field. The really solution is if you
4: As the solution is, women shouldn't live in Texas.
5: She was. <laughs> that's that's yeah, she so. was that, trying to escape that, a bounty
6: exactly. hunter
7: because she wanted to get gender affirming care for her.
4: Child. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm curious, uh, you know. I know we're not allowed to promote any work we've got coming out, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering, has there been anything in the culture that's inspired you guys this summer? Any books or, or films or, or songs or, or videos or anything you've seen? The
1: Bear on Hulu. Obsessed. Yeah.
4: Obsessed. Uh,
1: Have you seen it? Have you
4: I guys haven't seen it, seen it yet. It's I've in seen my the first
7: two episodes. I'm liking it. I would say uh, I, I fell in love. I, we went to Bruges because of In Bruges, and so uh, yeah. uh, Banshees of Inner Sharon. and uh, I finally saw it. Women talking, isn't it great? It is really fascinating, that and movie. powerful. Because I love Barbie. Barbie was kitschy and fun. I love Barbie, and, but Barbie me, was the most
4: political movie of the year.
7: Very political, but for talk about the women's empowerment. No, it's a great
4: movie. It's also the great. Women
7: talking is so.
4: No, women Engaging. talking blew me away because I the really ending, loved it. You, know, you kind of start to figure out the end, but you, it's it's so smart and it's it's crucible level scary good. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. So Three, those two, those what, two what's, films. What inspired you?
5: Okay, so uh, I have been following this person on TikTok. I don't know this person. The person's name is Joe uh, Johnson. She's a Canadian teacher. Um, her uh, her. If you want to follow her, it's Unlearn sixteen, um, and she is. Uh, incredibly authentic and I she does this really great stuff with teaching uh, her students and because it's summer she's been spending time with her family and Mm -hmm. apparently her her uh, grandmother just passed away but in in the lead up to that she was uh documenting that on TikTok and sort of the experience of trying to make sure everybody knew her grandma Ruby's story and so I just fell in love with that that um, that page yeah. and watching her. So if you have a chance to take a look at it, you should.
4: And is it is it more about her telling the story? Yes. Or is it more about the hospice experience? It's
5: mm-hmm. it's her telling the story and her telling just what the experience is like of going in and then some days she you know Grandma Ruby remembers her. Some days the the whole goal was to try to get her out of um, I would say a rehab facility mm-hmm. uh, to get her out of there um, and to, so she could go to the casino again. Wow. Which, uh, <laughs>
6: <laughs> and
5: um, and they, she was having trouble eating, and it was just all of this end of life stuff. But what's so incredible about her account is, first of all, she talks politics, but she also talks this, this family and and uh, of teaching and and student stuff and showing us her classroom and just it, it is such an authentic. What's her name
4: account. again for the riff raff? One um, it up.
5: Sure, Joanna Johnson, and it's Unlearned sixteen.
4: Unlearned sixteen. Unlearned. Yeah. That's great. Nice.
7: That reminds me of my mom's in a senior living place, and I won't say which one, but a, a shout out to the people that work on the memory floor in the whole place. Yeah. Uh, and it, it just so happens that Harry Be- Belafonte's second wife is in that same building, and met her. At, I met her at her sing along. But the pe- the work that these people do is kind of thankless and under the radar. The taking care of seniors, especially the ones with memory problems, no, it's just they're heroes. And I, I have heroes. to shout out to them. They're and a, all awesome they,
4: people. And and you know, my mother was a a geriatric nurse um, Mm -hmm. for many years and worked with patients like that and then the day came when she needed that kind of care and Mm -hmm. you know how it is when you're there saying I I wish you could have known her when she was still her and these people have heard that so many times and they're there to love the person they are now yeah when it's hard for us to love what our mom or dad have turned into those workers are there to love exactly who they are now it's amazing they're amazing yeah Wow, I feel even worse about myself as a man now. Okay, okay um, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to uh, ask you guys about um, unpopular opinions. I'd like yep. to know what gets you thrown out of the good parties. <laughs> We're at 866 997 4748. This hour has flown by. Y'all are too fun. This is progress. Man. He got to write songs for Levon Helm's voice, Rick Danko's voice, Richard Manuel's. When you're in a band with three of the best singers in rock, you got to get a solo career to sing. Ophelia, by the band. I'm John saying This is serious SiriusXM Progress. My God, this has been fun. I'm going to ask now, what is your unpopular opinion? What is the opinion that gets you thrown out of the good parties? I love the fifth Indiana Jones movie. I... Don't think Trump will ever go to jail. I think Barbie was better than Oppenheimer and more political, too. These things make me unpopular. I'm curious, what are your unpopular opinions, Mona?
1: I agree with you. I don't think jail. I don't think president. Uh, I don't think Trump's going to prison either. Yeah. I agree with you. Also. Liberals
4: get really mad when you say that. Yeah. Oh my god. That,
1: I. I. I don't. I don't think so either. I. I you know, um, the, the optics on that. Just. Just imagine the optics. Like we're. are the. The leaders of the free world, and uh, what our. Our, our former president is going to go to prison. How does that I mean, look? mean, the
4: mechanics, Are. Are they like? Are the Secret Service agents guarding? i going to have to join the Aryan Gang as I mean, well to survive. Like. I
1: mean, is McDonald's going to be serving him? Yeah. Can catering you? Can how
4: actually, How do you smuggle a Big Mac? I don't want to know how Walt Walton is, is going Diet to smuggle Coke a Big Mac. Diet Coke back.
1: sponsoring this? Like what? <laughs> how does this go down? Now what happens
5: to his orange tan? Like these? Oh, are... it,
4: it clashes with an orange jumpsuit.
5: Oh yeah, I'm
7: mean, yeah. gonna
5: Material takes that right off.
4: <laughs> is that
7: scaffolding around
4: Mar-a-Lago? No, those are bars. <laughs> no, it would be house arrest, and he can play fucking golf all day. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Tracy, what is your unpopular opinion?
5: I'm going to go apolitical on this, and that Please. is Boston drivers are better than LA drivers any day. No, of the fuck out of here. Yes, no. and and no. I don't understand yeah, how people can. They are less chia timid. Seeds.
4: They're braver, no. but they're insane in Boston. No, they, they will aren't. kill you in Boston I have traffic. I've rode a bike in, in Boston. Tra- no, I LA, because have- they don't know how to drive when it rains in L.A. In Boston, they will okay. fucking hurt your family.
5: I am afraid to drive in L.A. I hate it. Um, and I don't understand why people eat chia seeds. I don't understand it. I don't like it. I've tried it's it, and it's no, it. It's protein. it's disgusting. I don't care. You have to
4: eat enough of them that you have a horrible stomach ache the next day like I do every time. <laughs> yeah. I'm not good at portion control. I can't
5: do it. Tracy,
4: how do we follow you? How does the riffraff keep up with your work?
5: I am everywhere at Tracy Explains and I have a Substack at Dr. Tracy Explains and 20% of my annual uh, subscriber fee goes towards sag this fund to support. Thank you. Jagger oh, sand. I love Thank you. you.
4: Wonderful. It's so nice having you here in person, too. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, Carlos Ellis-Rocky, what is your unpopular opinion?
7: Uh, given the fact that I got in trouble with Stephanie Miller, but given the fact that uh, we have to win the middle of the country and votes and independents and people that are uh, less savvy, Trump's, uh Biden's too old. He's too old for me. I, I I know all his accomplishments. I know what he's done. Hang on, hang he, on. Okay, I okay, don't okay, need a cheerleader. Too, too,
4: old, too old to be president? Too old to run or again. Or too old to run again? Too old to run again. But not uh, too old to be president, because I've been dazzled. This 80-year-old gets shit done yeah. like a lesbian Scientologist. He too is a, He old, gets shit
7: done. Too old in terms of his optics when he runs, because people love engaging people, and he's not engaging, and that scares me and that frightens me. I will vote for him. Me I'm too. I'm not saying I won't. Me too. I, my unpopular opinion, and it got me in trouble on Stephanie Miller, is that Joe Biden is too old. I want a 10 Duckworth, I want tell me dem- tell me the Democrat who can get 320 electoral votes and beat Trump. And that's and that's the, it doesn't exist. Gavin Newsom is too polarizing, and uh, Kamala Harris. I wish he had a ve- different vice president. I, I don't find her sincere. I find her Agreed. not okay. uh, not a great running mate. So, so you're going to vote for? So is
4: your I, Biden, I, you're you're a Biden guy.
7: I will. I will. <laughs> yes, because I'm not voting. I'm voting to stop evil, and that's, that's the only it. agency I have. It's I'm so not going to pretend
4: that. It's so, it's so easy for every election. I'm like, I'm going to vote for the candidate whose policies will help the most and hurt the fewest. It was very easy for me to vote for Hillary Clinton, even though I didn't support her until she got the nomination. That's right. I've, yeah. I've supported Bernie. Uh, how do we follow you?
7: We are Instagram, on TikTok. I'll be at uh, to, uh, ToyCon in Bloomington, Illinois, at a con. and end of August, I will be in West Palm Beach uh, at Ultracon. And you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok, Carlos Alice Rocky and on Twitter. And uh, let me do my Tony Danza.
4: Mona. How do we follow you?
1: Oh, my God. Um, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Mona's Comedy.
4: Thank you so yeah. much for being back. Thank you for much. Guys, it's me. so good to see you all. Carlos, I haven't seen you since before the lockdown. It's so great to nice see you. Nice to see you. Thank you, you all for week. all you do. Well, you're, you're coming back next week. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Thea. Thank you, Chris. This is progress.
0: I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting.
8: Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcast on because you know i love it when you do
4: some first nations peoples share the legend of the skinwalker the mohawk nation calls them limikin shapeshifters and this guest has had many incarnations a boy in toronto who grew up not knowing his real parental history a 16-year-old who hopped a train to Arkansas to audition for a band found himself playing lead guitar with Bob Dylan every night on the revolutionary 1966 electric tour that saw them boot every night and helped create what we call rock music, became the lead song- singer-songwriter, the lead songwriter but not the lead singer of the band, rewrote the rules on rock and country, a Hollywood career as an actor and a producer of soundtracks, a solo career whose first debut album, featured U2 as a backup band, a reinvented solo career where his third and fourth records focused on the North American Indian experience, blending rock, traditional indigenous musicians, Library of Congress recordings, and electronica. He's been a label exec. He's written a best-selling memoir, Canadian Music Industry Hall of Fame, Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and an officer of the Order of Canada. When this man comes back, He Really Comes Back, a new album, cinematic, gorgeous songs in production, guests like Van Morris and some of his best guitar playing ever, a new documentary feature produced by Martin Scorsese and Ron Howard, Once Were Brothers, the history of the band from his point of view, including contributions from Bruce Springsteen and Eric Clapton, his 11th film, Collaborating with Martin Scorsese, the Irishman, he provided the soundtrack, the 50th anniversary reissue of the band's eponymous second album, and he just put out the best music video of the year featuring musicians playing the weight across five continents live for playing for change. This man does a comeback like no one we've ever seen. Welcome, Robbie Robertson.
3: Wow, thank you.
4: It's really hard to do a brief introduction. It's exhausting. There's so much. <laughs> there, there's so much in your history, so much you've done, but I've seldom seen an artist with so much on their plate in one year. Did you ever think you'd be this busy in one year?
3: No, I, I had no idea. And and it was a very interesting collective going on during this period because this was so not planned and all of these pieces, all of these projects and everything, and usually I would do my very best to keep to keep them separated just so you could focus on each thing right. and not get confused. In this case, for this record, Cinematic, I invited it all in. And so it does seem like, oh my God, look at all this list of everything, but the way it felt to me in making this record, I was incorporating the music from the Irishman on my album. Mm. There is two tracks there that are included in the movie. The song once were brothers, uh, uh, is the name of the documentary and in the documentary, there are things that are reflective in the songwriting of the band. And we've, I've been putting together the 50th anniversary collection of this music and with all of the other elements that go with that. So anyway, it turned out to be just like a big bowl of gumbo. And I just kept putting these different ingredients in it and it added it up and it felt great just to have this family of projects. It's exciting to talk
4: about because for a fan of your work to have so many new projects all at once is like Christmas And I want to begin and and focus on the album cinematic Um, It's been eight years since how to become clairvoyant the last solo record and I'm always curious What is it that tells you it's time? to put out a new record because it was an even longer gap between solo albums uh, numbers four and five. Do you have these songs living within you and eventually they're fully formed and you've got to get into the studio and let them out? Or do you make a commitment that you're going to put together a collection?
3: You know, I'm in a, a different program. I'm almost in a different line of work than other musicians or people from my generation that are still creative and active. I don't make a record to do a tour Mm. I make a record when the light goes on and I think wow I've got some stories to tell and my songwriting for a long long time has felt like little movies to me and so when I've got enough screenplays in, in my, you know, imagination, it turns into something. And all of a sudden, a spark goes off, and that leads to the next thing and the next thing. But I've, you know, I, I wrote this book. And when I was writing this book, I realized this is not a hobby. This was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And you have to go into a zone, you have to go into a dimension for this and shut off the world to really do this. And I tried, you know, between this and that, i do a little writing and this here, and then I realized that doesn't work. And I'd already gone through a process, I think with three different authors, that were that wanted to write my bi- right. biography. And so they came and they said, I know this and I can do that. And I tried it. And then I thought, no, this is no good. This person is trying to do an impersonation of me in the writing. That doesn't work. And then another guy said, no, no, that wasn't right. I know what to do. I tried it again. I tried, And then finally I realized... I have to tell these stories myself. I, I have th- the authentic voice to be able to you know express this thing of what happened in that, because this book it only goes up till the last waltz, That's and I right. was thirty-two years old, and they said you can't write your life story and stop when you're thirty-two. <laughs> that doesn't work. You have to you know so. While all this is going on, I'm writing volume two of my memoir at the same time. But I do realize the same thing again, that I'm going to have to... Block off the world. I'm gonna have to go into that dimension again to really do this and I've been able to Organize some things but to really get the voice the sound of the book the rhythm of the book the stories So they sing um, I've got to go there
4: was it hard for you to get that buzz from prose writing to break down the walls you had to get to to Find a new kind of flow
3: it was something that i was had to teach myself as going along and i had done a couple of other books before that were not this kind of pressure at all you know i you know i did this story when i was uh, like 8 years old on the 6th Nations indian reserve that's where my mom was born and raised and I was there one time, and this elder told the story of Hiawatha and the Peacemaker, and it was so moving to me. It was like, wow, this guy's voice in this story is so powerful, and it's violent, and it's got all of these elements to it. And and I, you know, I probably said this to you before, but after this experience, we we're walking out, and I said to my mother. I said, you know what when I grow up, I want to be able to tell stories like that and she said, oh, I think you will (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean that makes me think of Storyville because every
4: song on that whole record feels like a mini movie and the same feeling comes through on Cinematic starting off with a real movie song. um, I hear you paint houses Which of course is the book the Irishman was based on and I believe was the working title of the film now Everyone knows your connection with Van Morrison going back to the band and four percent Panamime, the last waltz And of course you did wonderful remark with van for Scorsese's uh, the king King of comedy comedy, Um, how does it go about that in 2019 you and Van Morrison do this wonderfully? uh, Impish and dark Duet about being a a killer for hire. Do you just call him up and say I've got this? Really dope lyric. How, How does that happen? Yeah, it's not exactly
3: just a sweetheart of a song, is it? No, you know? it's, but it's uh,
4: funny and it's murderous.
3: Yeah, so Van was in, in Los Angeles, and and when he comes through town, he usually gives me a shout. He's a, a dear old buddy of mine. And uh, so he said, what are you working on? I said, I'm doing uh, music for Marty's movie. And uh, so he said, oh, really? And so he comes by my studio, And he said, "Uh, play me something. So I said, I just wrote this song. It's not actually, I didn't write it for it to be in the movie because I'm writing the score for the movie. This just came to me and I had to write it because it was just coming out. So I played it for him and he said, oh man, I like that. And I said, you want to sing on it? And he said, yes. (laughs) So we did it together and it was a blast.
4: What is the process like for you? It seems like I've had the pleasure of seeing your your studio before. You have this magical place you go into and it seems like you just cocoon away until the revelations come.
3: It is a a bit like a think tank. Um, It's a a room, a couple of rooms with no windows. So there's no distractions. <laughs> and, when, uh, and when I go into this space, this is a, a studio within a recording studio. And I learned a long time ago, it's kind of a smart thing to do, because anything I need, I, I need a different microphone, I need a, a wire, I, need, I just call downstairs and I say, listen, send me up a blah, 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 or something isn't working and they just come up and fix it. <laughs> and if you do it somewhere else, getting help, and it can set you back in time. So anyway, I've got this, I've had it for a long time, and it is, it is a soundproof chamber. It's great, except if ever the power goes out, you've never seen such darkness. <laughs> there isn't a, a, a piece of any light that can ever get in there. But it works really good, and it started out just as my writing room. I would go there and just like it it was my job, I'd go there and I've got a piano and I've got keyboards and I've got guitars on the wall. and They're all like different tools. And sometimes for writing, you think, maybe if I grab that one, Something will happen because every time as I talk about it in this documentary once we're brothers Every time you you know, it's like a blank canvas Yeah, and you sit down and you go to write a song and sometimes Nothing happens sometimes. It just seems like you know what? I might as well give up I just don't know how to do this anymore another time you go in and it just flows out of you you have no idea. it's a complete mystery on where this comes from and sometimes i'll say well that guitar that didn't help i'll put that back up i'll pick down this one sit down and boom something happens and i think that might be something nobody writes songs about that kind of subject matter Mm -hmm. and and today you know there is in a lot of songwriting today and i and i love a lot of new artists they're they're fantastic you know there's always fantastic work going on but a lot of the songs are about who you're not sleeping with anymore you know who you don't like anymore you know what i mean they're just like It's, you know, it just seems to be just churning that subject over and over again. And I thought, wow, I just go to a whole other world in songwriting. And if you talk about the songs on Cinematic, I don't know if I got any competition and that might be good or bad.
4: (laughs) But it's also why so many artists want to work with you. I mean, in, in the film, Once We're Brothers, Bruce Springsteen has a great moment early in the film where he talks about your role as songwriter for the band. And he says, you know what it's like to to have three of the greatest white male singers in the history of rock all in the same band and throughout your career. You've always had a real knack for writing songs for other people to sing. Of course, the songs for the band you co-wrote. It's in the way that you use it for Clapton for uh, Scorsese's color of money on the Native Americans album. um, You don't even appear in vocal form until the third track and. This record's no exception one of my favorite songs possibly my favorite where you really give her the spotlight on the song walk in a beauty way which might be the most ethereal and sexy song I've heard you write in years. Um, in a
3: while, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's
4: a love song, but it's a spiritual song, but it's a deeply sexy record.
3: It is Laura Satterfield who sings on that song, and she is Rita Coolidge's niece. Oh. and uh, and And Rita and Priscilla, her sister, mm-hmm. and Laura, the three of them, did background vocals for me on the american indian music that i was doing mm-hmm. and um so i knew them as these background singers and of course rita's is you know a terrific singer and i was working with this guy uh, jim wilson is his name who was from the choctaw nation and him and i would do things together for for this north american indian uh, projects that I you know that I really loved doing it was something once again I didn't have much competition in this area <laughs> right, exactly but somebody needed to do it in that part of my heritage I really enjoyed sharing some things that I knew about that other people didn't so anyway with this guy Jim Wilson who unfortunately passed away and I wanted to put this song on the album, you know, in memory of Jim. But while Jim and I were working on this song, Laura was just around. So, you know, so I said, uh, um, why don't you sing on this? Why don't you come in here and you set this thing up and this expression, walk in beauty way, is a Navajo expression. And it really means just live your life, you know, in the most beautiful manner you can. And it's really about love and kindness and closeness and everything. So it was just an experiment that it went deep. It occurs to me that if that hadn't been your
4: way, the band never would have had their sound. I mean, at the height of psychedelia, you guys retreated to Woodstock and dreamed it all up. I wonder how... How influential on your creative process was the 66 tour with Dylan in seeing an artist going out there and giving the fans exactly what they didn't want, because that was where his muse was leading him?
3: I had never heard of before or since of somebody going out and doing a tour all over North America, all over Australia, all over Europe and people booing and throwing stuff at you every night. And we're just going along, and you know, and I've said this before, that usually in a case like this, you would say, you know what, the audience isn't really uh, <laughs> gravitating towards this. Maybe we should change some things. No, it was called just play louder and faster and everything, and it was kind of like a rebellion and in, 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 it got to a point on this tour that I said one night to Bob and I said to the other guys in the band, they're wrong. The world is wrong. And we're right. This is good. I know. I can tell. And some years later, it turned out, that we discovered this was part of a musical revolution. It changed music forever. Eight years
4: later, you were hailed as geniuses for it. Yeah,
3: yeah. People acted like, we always liked it. We were like, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. You can listen to that Manchester Free Trade Hall and hear the guy yell Judas. It's incredible. Yeah. And can you imagine, you're up there playing, and I made this joke, you know, I said, it's when I learned to play without looking at my fingers, because I was busy ducking (laughs) things that they were throwing at us. Um,
4: There's a song on the new record that I think kind of continues the autobiographical streak, and that's Beautiful Madness, which I know is inspired by Nicholas Ray's Bigger Than Life, but uh, rumor has it it's somewhat inspired by your legendary cinematic carousing with Mr. Scorsese when you guys began your friendship?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, there was a period when we were doing the last waltz that something happened, and my wife asked me to leave, and his wife left him, and we didn't know what to do or where to go, so we ended up becoming housemates for a couple of years, and and this was a period in the 70s when everybody was crazy <laughs> it was like i didn't know anybody who wasn't just riding really close to the edge and just seeing how close you could go without, without falling over and and so we tried that on and we were quite good at it too oh yeah until mean, so we found out It's not very healthy you really need to you need to uh, you know pull up your bootstraps and find another way Um, And we did and we did and we went on and you know right after that marty uh, Directed raging bull and asked me to work on the music for it And we've been doing this dance ever since I mean
4: fans of both of you have always looked on this as a Really time of mythical partying and and I wonder did this period? Do you think it made you a better artist and made him a better artist having this time of excess? Because I know a lot of it was also you guys just watching old movies on a projector in the
3: house, too. But did it did it deepen your artistic sensibilities? It he turned I was already a movie bug uh, from a very young age. And I thought I knew something about movies. Oh, my God. I didn't realize what an amateur I was. So Marty would show me movies and sometimes we would start at midnight and have a double feature. You know, and I would turn him on to music that I thought, I bet he's never heard this before. And it would be just drum and fife blues, all kinds of things that I would pull out of obscure places too. And eventually this music that I was turning them on to ended up in the movies over the years. That's
4: the amazing thing about going back through the soundtracks. Like I think Casino is one of the most underrated soundtracks out there. All those, that, that huge mass of songs you curated. And then you turn around and there's an album like the Shutter Island soundtrack where... Scorsese's I guess Hitchcockian Masterpiece where he uh, charged you with finding music that had no melody To play the film about mental illness I mean well
3: he said that he didn't For that movie Usually he has Some kind of a clue Something that might You know shed a light On a direction that we Could go in on that movie He said you know what I have No idea where we should go on this And I read the script, and I said, I think, I've got a gut feeling, modern classical music could work great in this. He said, "Uh, show me what you mean, send me some stuff. And I sent him some things. I've been a longtime admirer of Krzysztof Penderecki. Mm -hmm an incredible modern composer and there was a period like around 1970 or something like that that i was that christoph and i were writing one another and i was saying god this thing you did the Trinity for the victims of hiroshima is so powerful and so beautiful And then he would listen to some of my music with the band. And he would say, wow, I've never heard music like this before. This is so original. And So so anyway, we were just sending things back and forth. And I finally got to use his music and John Cage and many, many others, too, in a movie. And so that was a thrill for me as well. It's a heck of a
4: soundtrack to listen to, um, especially on a first date. It's really, really uh, a very, very edgy collection of music but it seems like this is your thing. You have this vast love of creativity, this vast love of art and you and Scorsese were just perfectly matched.
3: It you know, it, we have such a good time doing this. And last night we were talking about we were talking about just because the Irishman had just showed at the opening of Uh, the New York Film Festival and my god it's a piece of work Mm. it's great and the music in this too is something that I've never done before I don't even you know I don't even know where that came from but it came from somewhere and I had to make a music I had to discover a music because it takes place over many decades and something that didn't sound like it was locked in the sixties or the eighties or any decade that it had a timeless flavor to it and a sound and a feel and a mood that's kind of haunting. And so anyway, we, we found that it, it's just beautiful in the movie and the you know the movie is just killer but last night we were talking about the next movie and on <laughs> this one we really got to do thank it thank god this was just a warm-up
4: <laughs> <laughs> we've got to take a quick break but when we come back I want to talk about your movie uh, once we're brothers uh, the controversy surrounding it the people who are in it and who made it and why it is such a special work of cinema as well as taking some questions from our studio audience we'll be right back for our special town Hall with Robbie Robertson. Stick around.
3: In we got
4: Welcome back. It's great to have you here. And Robbie, um, the film Once Were Brothers just premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival. It is beautiful. Martin Scorsese produced it and appears in it. And it seems like um, there's going to be some controversy over it. It is you telling your side of what happened with the band up to the end. I Got the vibe that it was really important for you beyond the memoir to have a cinematic account of What happened with the band and not just your side of the breakup But your side of the love and your side of the brotherhood that you shared with these four men
3: Yeah, it um, It wasn't my idea to- to do this. Um, some people said, we want to do a documentary inspired and based on your book. And I thought, well, if we can do it really good, uh, <coughs> excuse me, if we can do it really good, I like this idea. So, we worked on you know finding the right director for it, and we had to go around and around a bit on that, and then, <coughs> I came across this 24 year old documentary filmmaker. Daniel Rohr is his name. And, you know, sometimes you're just, your inner instinct tells you something and i said i think this guy is the guy for the job and he had told he had made some documentaries and people were like whoa this guy is very talented and they said to him before i knew about this at all they said what would you like to do for your next and he said i'd like to do a documentary based on robbie's book so anyway that's why we met up i met him and i thought i'm gonna take a shot on this and so the people that were producing it i said i think we should go with this guy and they were like um i don't know i don't know he doesn't have the experience he doesn't have the thing all of this stuff and he's this 24 years old and i said I was 24 years old when I made music from Big things. <laughs> I'm gonna, get, you know, I'm gonna push for this. So anyway, he directed it, and we put a team together around him. Imagine Entertainment came in with Ron Howard and Brian Grazer, and Martin Scorsese was kind enough to be an executive producer on it. And so everybody brought in the ingredients, to, so this guy didn't feel like. Am I, you know, can I live? He had the the support system. So anyway, he went off and made this film and took it in a direction that I had no say in. Right. I didn't want to say in it. I really didn't want to be micromanaging my own story in this You don't thing. want to do propaganda. You want to be part of this work of art. Exactly. So anyway, he took it to a place of that it is so moving and for a music documentary like this to have this emotional thing about it is so unusual and it isn't it it, it just isn't the usual fair at all which means a lot to me I've never been I've always thought avoid the obvious and 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 this guy understood that and, and w- when I saw the final product at the opening night of the Toronto Film Festival, which they never open with a documentary, right. they want a big blockbuster, you know, they want, you know, one of those things. And they decided, they saw this film and thought, whoa, this is, you know, so moving. We're going to open the festival with us. So that was very complimentary. And... They showed it and the audience, some of the audience was cheering. Some of them were crying, you know, and at the end of the movie, they asked me, they put a spotlight on the stage and I walked out into the spotlight and the audience and you could I could see them, you know, people wiping their eyes and people, you know, just rejoicing in the the effect of this film. So that was gr- very gratifying. And now Magnolia Films is gonna distribute it in theaters and then it will stream, you know, after that.
4: A lot's been made of, uh, of the controversy of, about the film. And again, I, I I view the film as a love story. Um, now, uh, Levon, of course, is no longer with us. And I, I actually, Levon wrote his book. Levon has said the things he said. They're out there for people to read. Um, I actually thought it was interesting that it was important to filmmakers like Martin Scorsese and Ron Howard To be a part of letting you give your side of that story and I think that anyone Who has ever loved someone who has struggled with addiction? Is going to identify a lot With the love you have for your bandmates. How did you approach? Addressing parts of the story that you knew might be sensationalized by the press.
3: I didn't think of it like that, you know, just because it comes from my book. It comes from, I'm just telling my, you know, my part in this story and my relationship with these other guys and our brotherhood. And it was an extraordinary journey. I would put the story of this group up against any band, musical group in history. We played Jack Ruby's Club, you know, in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, we played at Watkins Glen, the biggest concert in the world. You know, we played the gamut of. I could go through a hundred things of places that we played and, and, and events that happened. You couldn't write this, you couldn't imagine this. It is unbelievable. And it's absolutely true that we went through these things. So we were like brothers, we were like war buddies. We played with Bob Dylan all over the world and everybody hated us. People used to say, Bob, you're really good. You gotta get rid of these guys though. You know, We went through everything. And then we made some fabulous music together. We changed the course of music in, the, in a couple of different ways. We were part of these musical revolutions. What's not to celebrate? Right. And so that is what's inside of me in, in all of this. And it comes out in the film. And I was
4: saying to you before we started, You know, I was the Curious fan because I was a teenager in the 80s who became a fan of Robbie Roberts and the Solo Artist, produced by Daniel Lenoir, featuring Rick Dango and Peter Gabriel and U2 on the first record. And then I was a kid. I went back in time to the band. And reliving it all, it's amazing how you have seemingly organically reinvented yourself creatively time and again. The first two solo records sound nothing like the band. The third and fourth records, uh, Music for the Native Americans and Contact from the Underworld of Red Boy, sound nothing like anything you had done before. And it just seems like... You're following a muse. You know what it's supposed to sound like, and you're trying to find it. Is that a fair estimation of what you're reaching for? Because I still can't believe the same man makes all these sounds.
3: (laughs) It's a discovery process. And I'm so curious. And I'm so still on this mission of when I was 16 years old, and I went from Canada down to the Mississippi Delta to join a rock a, a rock and roll band southern rock and roll band and I was too young to play in this group. You had to be twenty one to you know play this kind of music. I was too inexperienced I wasn't a good enough guitar player yet mm-hmm and I was from Canada. There's no Canadians in southern rock and roll <laughs> bands. It's like, yeah, yeah they, we don't allow them in, right? <laughs> and I had to break down this barrier and win this, and I did. So that mission that I was on then, I'm just in I'm just continuing, you know, that same discovery process and trying to, you know, every day I get up and I think what are we going to discover today and that's just you know that's part of the magic the creative spirit and the fun of doing what i do we have a few uh listeners who'd like to ask a couple of questions
4: so i want to start with you sir uh yes you're first jorge has the mic
8: yes i was wondering who your biggest influences were musically growing up
3: oh my god it's it's a long long list but talking about you know what i just mentioned about going down to the mississippi delta i had the opportunity we were in helena arkansas it's where sunny boy williamson was from Mm. right and and with the guitar player that was playing with the hawks then we went over to memphis and i went to the record store, the home of the blues record store. And when I went in there, I, could, I couldn't hardly breathe. There was so much stuff that I needed to lay my hands on. And this was 1960. It was before many, many other musicians had got turned on to the music of this area. Everybody was from this area between Memphis and Clarksdale, Mississippi. And I got the records of Howlin' Wolf Mm. and Muddy Waters and Carl Perkins and Roy Orbison and Jerry Lee Lewis and gospel records by the caravans and... And Jimmy Reed and on and on and on and this was my musical education and at this point to win what I needed to win I slept with my guitar I didn't even bother putting it down because I knew I've got more work to do you and Robert Johnson Wow one more audience question there's been a lot of discussion and debate recently about Art
7: and other symbols uh, that tend to glorify the Confederacy, and when I hear the night they drove Old Dixie down, now I find myself asking myself where that fits into that discussion. A song I happen to love. Yeah, and I'm curious to know what your thoughts are about
3: that. Yeah, interesting question. Um, you know, back to this thing when I went from Canada down to the Mississippi Delta, it was bam. I I didn't, you know, I didn't understand the depth of this. I didn't understand that you would go to the restroom and one said colored and one said white. Mm-hmm. I thought, I kind of heard about that. Drinking fountains. What? It was crazy. But for me, a lot of the people playing the my favorite music, you know, were African Am- Americans and... I just adored what they could do, and I adored them. Now, one day, Levon took me over to meet his parents and his father, who was an incredible ca- character. Jasper Diamond was his name. And we were talking about stuff, and he was talking about his growing up and being a cotton farmer and all of this thing and telling me about this and And then it came up, you know that after the Civil War and everything they had to you know Change and they had to accommodate these kind of things and he said to me and he said but he called he called me Robin He said but Robin I'll tell you right now the south is gonna rise again and I got chills through me I got those relatives too. And so years later years later I'm sitting down at the piano writing a song and something creeped out of me and it was a story. And I was writing a movie again, right? And I was writing a, a, a movie about a Southern family that lost in the war and from their side, but the story of that family. I was trying to write a song that I thought Levon could sing better than anybody in the world. And that's, that's all it was. That's what it meant to me. And I wasn't thinking about it just to, to be different. I was just thinking about our own thing. We yeah. just do our own thing. And we did it, and I liked it. It made me feel good listening to that song. Now today, you're right. That might be touchy territory today, but I don't care.
4: And it's not a pro-Confederacy song. It's a story about people. It's the way that Tom Petty's Southern accents, you know, tells the same kind of soul song about the pain of these kind of people. It's it's hardly endorsing uh, secession. Yeah. It's a perfect yeah. perfect song. A couple of crucial questions now, Mr. Robertson. Uh, you've never toured, and I know you've since had since the last Waltz. Since the last Waltz, there's never been a Robbie Robertson solo tour, right? Has there ever been a time? That you've you've done one-off shows. There was a beautiful show with the Indian musicians in Italy a few years back Mm, Yeah, but has there ever been a desire for you to put some of the songs like somewhere down that crazy river or night parade up on stage? And see how they breathe. Did you ever have a curiosity about giving these songs a live life?
3: Yes, I've I've dreamt about things like that and I don't I you know like I said I I for 16 years I t- toured in every which way imaginable. I thought I'd done that and I thought at some point I know it's a business. I know you go out there and play and people cheer and 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 give you money. It's not a bad way to make a living. <laughs> but I was having a real problem with the creative part of it i felt like i was in the king and i doing the same play all my life really (laughs) you know and i just didn't i wanted to discover different things i thought i already discovered that and i know that
4: is it true that you really tried to play guitar like elmore james until your fingers bled because you didn't know what a bottleneck was
3: it is true, and it was a little naive of me, but I, once again, I was from Canada, you know? C- cut me some slack on this. I didn't, I had never seen somebody play bottleneck guitar in the Mississippi Delta, yet. But I did then, and I thought, oh my God, look at it, it's much easier than I thought. Were you really afraid that when Clapton visited Woodstock, he was
4: gonna try and take a job in the band?
3: No, but he, he confessed that when he came to Woodstock, and I didn't know, when, when he induct the band inducted the band into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he told the story. I said, in all these years, he never mentioned that to me (laughs) because he said, when I got there, I lost the nerve to ask. He said, but the reason I was coming there was to ask if I could join the group. (laughs) And I said to him after at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I said, were you insinuating we needed another guitar player (laughs) or were you wanting my job? And he never answered me <laughs> um is the hypnotist story true absolutely we had just recorded the band album in sammy davis jr's pool house and i killed myself <laughs> Gloss over that Robbie. <laughs> I know, and nobody did that kind of thing back then. Everybody just went into a recording studio. And this was like the first time I said, no, 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 we can't do a studio. we got to have our own world, our own atmosphere to do what we're doing. If we do that, we could fall into the norm. (laughs) We don't do good there. So anyway... I I got really so exhausted and drained in writing and figuring out and recording. And I had a newborn a daughter at the time, too. So I wasn't getting a lot of sleep. And after we recorded that album and they were like, OK, we're done with the recording. I just fell apart. You know what I mean? Then the adrenaline goes away and it catches up with you. And they said, I know, but now we got to go and play our first job as the band. And it was like, oh, my God, that's right. Oh, geez. And so we got on a plane to go up. We, Bill Graham insisted that we do this with him at Winterland. And we went up there and I collapsed. I just fell apart, and I was really sick. I had a terrible fever, it was it was frightening to everybody. And we didn't know what to do, and Bill Graham said, we've been building up to this for a year. You guys didn't tour after music from Big Pink. And we've been, you know, this has been a buildup. There's no way we, we're, we're gonna cancel this. We'll try anything. And the, And him and Albert Grossman, our manager, said, you think we should try a hypnotist? And I was so desperate. I said, I will try anything. Absolutely anything, because I felt so awful. I just wanted some relief. And a hypnotist came in, worked on me, and he was this French guy, Pierre Clément. I still remember his name. He came in, did his whole thing. This is happening, now you're doing that. Did this thing, and I thought, I'm starting to feel a little bit better, and he and he kept working, kept working, and finally he got me up. I got dressed. We went to the hall, and I was kind of like in a, another world, another zone. We went to the hall. The guys were there, like, I, are you, are you going to be okay? And I said, I don't know, but I'm showing up, you know. And we got up there, and he said to me there'll be some points here where you might start feeling weak because you have been very, very ill. And whenever you feel like your knees are getting a little shaky or you can't go on, you look over at me. I'm going to be at the side of the stage, and I'm going to say, grow. And, And he said, and then you'll come back up. And I thought, oh, my God, this is so hocus pocus. But anyway, I have no choice. So we go out there because Bill Graham is like, he's like Patton. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, we go out there and we're playing and we're going along and I'm kind of in a daze and. I'm looking at the audience and it's like, it's just insane everything. And the sound of us playing and the audience screaming and cheering and carrying on. And all of a sudden I thought, I'm gonna faint. I feel so weak. And I look over at him and I gave him that look and he said, grow. And I could hear it right in my ear over the audience over the music everything and I started to come back up I thought this is weird but magical I'll take it right and we ended up we were able to play I don't know for a a little while not as long as we wanted to but we were able to get through the evening after that I thought I believe in anything after this, <laughs> and we went. We finished the the thing. I went over to him and I said, "Thank you so much. This is a remarkable experience." And he said, "Okay, I'm going to let you down now, and you're going to be okay." And I said, "Well, geez, how do I thank you for this?" And he said, "You don't have to thank me, and I'll see you in the stars." And I've never seen him or spoke to him since.
4: Did it stay with you? Have you said grow to yourself when you need it? I
3: say it nearly every
4: day. (laughs) The new album is called Cinematic. The best reason to get the vinyl edition is because Robbie has provided some beautiful paintings for each song. Trust me, it is worth the investment. Also watch for the 50th anniversary deluxe re-release of the band's eponymous second album and something you're not touring with but you're a force behind it, The Last Waltz Tour 2019 from last year's Jazz Fest show. You are the hardest working man in showbiz and you make it look easy. No. Thank you, Robbie Robertson. Oh, and thank thank you, you all for y'all. joining us on SiriusXSense.
3: Thank you.